Hi, everybody. I'm Kevin from an alcoholic. And uh, 20-year-old grandpa. Um, God, that was great. You know, I, I couldn't help but be excited about that last night when I was talking to everybody about that. Um, you know, I never thought I would ever get myself in a position to sponsor somebody, let alone be a grand sponsor, let alone have a sponsoree that gets themselves in a position to sponsor somebody else. And uh, that's really what this program is all about, you know, and I, and I never realized that, you know, until I started working the steps and, and started really getting into what AA was all about. And uh, I realized today that it is about, you know, helping the newcomer and, and giving of ourselves, you know, to keep what we have. And, uh, you know, for a long time it was about me and, and I was thinking about this today because I've been pondering this all day today and I'm, you know, I'm shaky and nervous and I haven't done this in a long time. And uh, I was thinking about this today about, you know, how Todd said all those nice things about me, you know, and, and about uh, four days ago I've been, I've been seeing this girl that goes to school in Michigan and she told me that I had a good heart and a tear came to my eye. And, uh, you know, I've never, I've never had anybody say something quite like that to me. Uh, I was always the guy who... Uh, you know, if I had a friend that their mother, you know, was scared, you know, was, would forbid them to hang out with me. You know, that, that's, that's the kind of guy that I was. Um, I felt like I was like the leader of this terrorist group, you know, and, and to some extent I guess I was. You know, I mean, like, like I had like my picture, I guess, and like the, the most wanted poster or the, or the stay away from Kevin, you know, slogans going around or whatever. I mean, I, I felt like that for a long time. And, and, uh, and you know, in a lot of ways I deserve that, you know. Um, and I can, I can stand up here and freely admit that today, you know, and, and because of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and you people and uh, fellowship, the 12 steps, and the power greater than myself, I've managed to, uh, I've managed to finally escape that reputation and, and build something much brighter and uh, much more meaningful. Um, well, it says in the book, I guess I'm supposed to share my experience, strength, and hope. And um, like Todd said, I'm from Michigan, uh, from a suburb of Detroit, Canton Township. I know uh, I was talking to a couple people last night, and some people knew where that was. And I was very surprised about that, but I uh, thought that was pretty cool. But uh, I was born in Livonia, which is just which is right near uh, Canton, and I lived there uh, up until I was 18. Uh, went to elementary school there, went to uh, middle school and high school, did all that there. And uh, it's funny that every time I go home, it seems like I know, like, I run into somebody like wherever I go back there. It's like it's not really like a small town, like I said, it's like suburbia. But, like, I can't go anywhere whenever I go home to visit and not run into somebody that I know, which is kind of cool. You get to know everybody and whatnot. But you also, uh, it's also an easy way to get a reputation, like I said before. And, um, and like I said, you know, I, I, I definitely did have one of those. Um, I started off, uh, you know, my parents were fairly normal. Um, <laughs> I say that loosely, of course, but, it, but they, you know, they, they, they were fairly normal, though. Like, I... I you know, I I sure wouldn't put any kind of labels on them or uh, or anything like that. Um, neither one of them was really, you know, really a drinker of any sorts. You know, my dad tops when he would go out or whatever. Like once maybe a month, he would have like a beer or two, and um, and that's I, that's absolutely not the way I drink. I mean, that was completely alien to me. But um, and my mom was uh, my mom was you know she was she was pretty normal too. She uh, she came from you know a pretty nice family and uh, was the only child, and, and I'm the only child in my family. And um, my dad, though, uh, his dad was real, real bad alcoholic. He, he ended up dying from this disease. And uh, I later found out that, uh, like, the dynamics of, like, the genetics of alcoholism, I guess it tends to skip a generation. And that's kind of uh, <laughs> how I was first introduced to, like, the program and what AA was all about was uh, one of the convincing things that somebody tried to tell me that I was an alcoholic was that fact, was that, you know, that the alcoholic gene or whatever can skip over a generation. And I was thinking to myself, what the hell are they talking about, you know? What's that supposed to mean? So, um, so anyway, I'll get to that. But um, I went through uh, went through elementary school and I was uh, real active with everybody. I was never like real like popular with everybody, but uh, you know, I did have friends. I did have people that I grew up with that I hung out with all the time. Uh, I was real big into sports, did all that kind of stuff. All you know, all the all the giddy giddy little like good boy type of stuff. Um, kindergarten though, kind of uh, got things rolling though. I was um, I was one of those kids in kindergarten that uh, the punishment. The, the, puni the punishment in kindergarten that I became accustomed to quite early on was uh, getting sent into the closet. And the closet was this really, really dark place where everybody, like, hung their coats and, uh, you know, and basically no one was ever in there unless you were hanging your coat up. And I was in there quite a bit. Um, <laughs> like, my, my teacher basically forbade people to uh, 
you know, call other people stupid and dumb and call people names, and I was very fond of doing that. And um, so that that landed me in there a lot. So early on, like, it was a way for me to kind of get attention. I would, you know, I'd do all kinds of little stuff, even at that age, just to get attention. And that actually kind of became a pattern for me as I went through school. Uh, first grade, I remember uh, at lunch one day when the teacher was off and we had these, like, older kids who we called safeties. I remember one day getting bored and just writing swear words down on a piece of paper and just showing it to everybody that I could possibly show it to. And I misspelled um, just one of them. I had all the other ones spelled right. I was a pretty smart kid. I actually, I spelled shit, C-I-T. But, like, other than that, I had all the other ones right, verbatim, perfect. But uh, my teacher wasn't too impressed with that and notified my mother of that. So, uh, and, uh, and, and on and on and on it went. Every year it was something. Um, fifth grade, I got into a fight with a kid, I remember. And uh, I remember trying to punch this kid. And this kid was, like, bigger than me, so it was hilarious for me even to try to fight this kid. And uh, he ended up catching my punch and just beating the fury out of me. And, um, you know, my, like, I, I swear to God, I think I set the record for fights in that elementary school. Just because, I, uh, I think uh, Leo talked about earlier today, proving your manhood. And uh, I was definitely all about that, you know, through all, through all walks of life, really. I mean, I was definitely about that in elementary school. I definitely had a losing record in, uh, in fights in elementary school. Um, you know, I, I wasn't really a tough kid, like I said. Um, just just kind of one of those kids who just kind of floating through, doing his thing, and not, you know, a little troublemaker. Middle school was more of the same. Um, at this point, I hadn't started drinking yet. Uh, went through 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. I think in uh, eighth grade, I, I broke the record for a uh, number of trips to the timeout room while still having a 4.0 grade point average. So, um, like I said, I was a pretty smart kid, but I, I kind of knew the game. Um, I knew how to get away with stuff to the point where I could get attention, um, please people, and make my friends laugh, you know, and still manage to get good grades because good grades were important to me. Um, and then high school came. And uh, the transition from me into high school was, uh, was pretty drastic. Um, I was used to... Uh, I was used to, ever, you know, I was used to being the happy-go-lucky, just little friendly goof-off type of kid. Um, like I said, you know, a little bratty, whatnot, but you know, nothing like, not like uh, problem child or whatever, like that John Ritter movie or whatever. I mean, I was nothing like that. You know, I wouldn't like set things on fire or do anything like that. But uh, you know, but I was just one of those annoying little kids. You know, that sometimes people just shook their head at and they're like, okay, whatever. You know, and um, eventually I got into high school and and, and things drastically changed. Uh, I got, into the, uh, I got into the high school soccer team, and uh, I ran track my freshman year. And my freshman year was probably the most tame that I had out of, out of all my years of high school. Um, and uh, it was towards the end of my freshman year where I discovered alcohol. And um, so up, but up to that point, you know, I mean, I wasn't, like I said, you know, I was, I was playing sports. I was into the sport thing. I had friends through that. I had friends that I had grown up with in my neighborhood. I started smoking cigarettes my freshman year, but that was about the extent of what I did. Um... Later on in that year, I got into shoplifting, and I was very fond of shoplifting. Um, it, was, it wasn't necessarily a way for me to acquire wealth, but it was more for uh, the excitement, uh, just the feeling of getting away with it was, um, was a big thrill for me. Plus, I, I loved the feeling of, like, when I got away with doing something like that, bragging about it. Like, I was just, I was so big into, like, doing, like, little daring things, just, just as enough daring things to, you know, to, to keep people laughing. Um, you know, to keep people thinking, wow, man, what a cool guy this guy is, all that. I mean, that was just so important to me. I mean, that was just so incredibly important to me, you know, through that age. Um, and then I discovered alcohol. And, um, you know, in all honesty, uh, people ask me, you know, when's your first drink? And I, and I really can't remember when exactly I took my very first drink. Uh, I used to take sips when I was real little, when I was, uh, uh, when I, you know, my grand, when my grandmother would come over and she'd be drinking brandy or whatever. And I hated the taste of it, but for some reason it was just a symbol of, like, adulthood. You know, and I, and I wanted so much to have that. So I would, like, you know, this little kid, I mean, I was maybe five or six the first time I did this. And I'd go up to her and I'd be like, Grandma, can I have a little sip of that? She'd be like, oh, here, it can't hurt anybody. So I'm, I'm, sipping, this, I'm sipping this brandy, you know. So, uh, and, and that, was, that was pretty sporadic, though. I mean, like I said, I mean, I was real little. It was pretty sporadic. But uh, I do remember, I mean, I have a very fond memory of this, which is really strange. I have a very fond memory of just consciously thinking at that young age, like, wow, look how cool, like, that beverage she's drinking is. You know, all I get is, like, apple juice and warm milk, you know. <laughs> hook me up with some of that. So, um, so yeah, so eventually, uh, freshman year in high school, and, and, and like I said, I honestly, to, I honestly cannot remember the exact details of my, of, of my first real drunk in high school. And, uh, 
I don't, I don't know if that's because just to the extent of the damage I did or just because it just, you know, wasn't that great or, or whatever. But I, it must have been good because I kept doing it. And um, uh, that, that freshman year went by, and I got arrested for shoplifting that summer, the summer after my freshman year, and which was uh, which was kind of a blow not just to my ego and my pride, but also to the fact that I, I could no longer brag about uh, doing, you know, shoplifting and stealing stuff and getting away with it. You know, it had caught up to me. And uh, one of those secret secu- one of those secret security shoppers just nailed me. Me and my buddy one day stealing caffeine pills of all things. And uh, and they took us in the back and they they called the, they called the, the local police and they came and patted us down and uh, I, I didn't like that too much. Um, I mean I was I mean I was a 14 year old kid I think about 14 at the time. Um, I'd already started diving into alcohol a little bit. I'm stealing caffeine pills from the supermarket. And this cop's patting me down. I'm 14, and, you know, and this secret security lady is busting me. And um, so that, that didn't work too good. And uh, I was, I was uh, sentenced, I guess you could say. I, I, they never really had a trial or whatever. They basically said, uh, we're pressing charges, and this is what you're going to do. But uh, I had to go to uh, this place called GrowthWorks for, uh, for four months, what they called a youth assistance program. And, uh, and, and there were all kinds of, like, like, wild kids there who did, like, similar stuff that was about as dumb as what I did. Like, there was a kid in there who stole shoes from, like, a J.C. Penney's or something up in Michigan. I don't know if you guys have that here, but uh, they had, they, we had these department stores up there, and this kid stole shoes, and he was in there. Uh, most, like, most of us were in there for shoplifting, um, stuff like that. No one was really in there for drugs or alcohol or any related things like that. So, so basically, we had these, uh, these group leaders in there, and I'd have to go, like, once a week for two hours. And uh, we had these group leaders and everything who would just kind of, you know, sit there and let us do our thing. You know, we just kind of, we all banded together and, you know, we just goofed off the whole time. So it wasn't really that big of a deal. It was just a pain in the neck, like, getting there because I, want, I wanted to go out and do other stuff. You know, I didn't want to sit there for two hours. But, but um, so that was that. And then uh, my sophomore year started up, and I, and I was grounded for half of that summer after I got caught shoplifting. So that really sucked. I had, to, uh, I had to call my buddies up on the phone and have them smuggle cigarettes into my house because my parents knew at this time that I smoked. But, um, but, yeah, but I, but I ran out eventually because I couldn't leave. I mean, I was grounded. I mean, they were pretty strict about it. So I had to call my buddies up and have them come over and smuggle cigarettes over the house. I mean, I really felt like, you know, like Fidel Castro or something. You know, I smuggled Cuban cigars or whatever. I mean, it was ridiculous. You know, 14-year-old, you know, we're, we're smuggling cigarettes over Kevin's house. I mean, that's great. So eventually, uh, my sophomore year starts up, and sophomore year is where it really picks up. Um, I'm definitely here to say that uh, my sophomore and junior years in high school, um, in terms of the classes I took, I really can't remember um, exactly what I took. I, can, I remember bits and pieces time to time. Um, I remember that I had a math class first hour, I think my sophomore year, that uh, I used to always uh, go in and talk to my buddy and brag about how, how wasted I got the weekend before or how drunk I was at that, at that time. And, um, and I don't know, beyond that, there's, there's, very, there's very little that I remember about that stuff. Uh, I do remember, though, that uh, I do remember that I started smoking marijuana that year. And uh, I apologize if I offend anybody with the, with the talk of drugs in my story, but it's definitely a big part of my story because, um, you know, that's what we did. You know, you know we drove around, uh, we hung out, we, we hung out in basements, and uh, we smoked pot, and we, and we got drunk. I mean, and, that, and that's what I did. Um, so I started smoking marijuana, and uh, that, was my, that was my sophomore year in high school. And, um, and, and that, that became, um, the fir- actually, the first time I did it, I, I definitely remember the first time I did that. Uh, the first time I did it, there was like eight of us smoking one joint, and the thing was like as thin as maybe like one of those like coffee stirs. So I, I don't really know what we were thinking. If any of you have ever smoked marijuana before, you're not going to get stoned with eight people smoking a joint the size of like a toothpick. It's not going to happen. But I, but I thought I was pretty cool, and uh, my friends seemed to enjoy that, and uh, they seemed to think I was pretty cool for doing it, so I kept doing it even though I had yet to experience the effects of it. And about the third or fourth time that I did it, I really, really got stoned, and I, and I absolutely loved it. I, I mean, I just, I just absolutely loved it. I mean, for about two hours, I was underneath this bridge. I still didn't have a car. I was only 15. We were underneath this bridge near my neighborhood, and we're, you know, and we're, and we're smoking this marijuana, you know, like, you know, like homeless people, you know, in New York. And we're all dressed nice, you know. We all got nice clothes on, you know, brought up in, you know, Pretty well-to-do families, and here we are underneath this bridge in our nice clothes, all this grub stuff, dead animals going on, and we're smoking marijuana down there. But I must—I mean, I, I must have found it really funny though, because I mean, for like two hours straight, I could not stop laughing. I mean, that's all I did was laugh. Like, I mean, it didn't matter if like my buddy would have said like my dog died, you know, I would have just busted out laughing. I mean, it, it didn't matter. I mean, I was—that's—that's that's, that's the way it was for me the first time. I really, really felt the effects of that. And um, 
So eventually things progressed. Um, got kicked out of my house for the first time during my sophomore year, and uh, I didn't like that too much. Um, and eventually um, I, I came back crawling on my hands and knees, which, which was uh, which was what I liked to do. I want to back up for just a sec. One of the uh, one of the early like uh, defense mechanisms that I think that I learned at a real early age was that. Uh, uh, when I was growing up, I was one of those kids that was a real crier. You know those kids that you grow up with that, that just cry? <laughs> I, was def- I was definitely a crier. Like, if you hit me in the right spot or call me right now, and that's what I, and I, and I learned that. I carried that through high school. I mean, here I was in high school, and it was almost like I could turn it on and off like a faucet. No problem. If I wanted to get something or my parents were starting to get too rough on me, I'd, okay, son, it's okay. We won't ground you. That's fine. They wisened up eventually, though. I didn't work after a while, but I mean, it, it did work for a little while, though. So, uh, so anyway, back to back to my sophomore year. Um, so things continued. Uh, by the end of my sophomore year, I was pretty much smoking pot about three or four times a week, you know, and I was drinking about you know as often. Um, I was running with these. I was running with these other kids who lived in this uh, apartment complex known as the Canton Commons, and. Uh, that was basically the spot in my in uh, in my area of town where pretty much everybody in town went to get some sort of drug or, or alcohol or something like. That. I mean that that was basically that was basically like everybody's dope man was in there. I mean some. I mean there were more than there was definitely more than one dope man in there. I mean don't get me wrong, but you know everybody just about everybody that I know or that I knew at the time that used you know I mean that's where they went to get their drugs and and I was definitely no exception. Um, so so um. You know, the summer passed uh, after that, and uh, the summer was pretty low-key. I pretty much just didn't do anything except hang out with my friends and get wasted. Um, and then my junior year. And the thing that was interesting about my junior year was I started, like, I started getting interested in girls again, and, uh, which was strange because when I discovered drugs and alcohol, girls were definitely a secondary thing. Um, it was always get the drugs, get the alcohol, you know, get screwed up, and then, uh, you know, maybe if I'm lucky, you know, I'll meet a nice girl. Didn't meet nice girls though when I was drinking. You don't. You just, you know, which is really weird. Like at the places I hung out, you just don't meet nice girls. I just, I didn't find that out till later. But you just, you just really don't meet nice girls. And so, so eventually I just kind of gave up on the, the whole idea and said the hell with it. You know, I'm just gonna drink, do drugs, feel sorry for myself, and you know, and, I, and I'll and I'll be okay with that. So, um. One thing noted about my sophomore year was that my grades dropped drastically. I was no longer the kid who could. Uh, who could get in trouble as much as I was getting into and maintain the kind of grade point average that I was maintaining. Um, my, grade points dro- my grade point dropped drastically, uh, and I was skipping class a lot. You know, I really liked the excitement of, uh, of sprinting across the street from my high school to this neighborhood to go and smoke pot. I mean, smoking pot was like the reward if you, if you made it past the street. Like, the street was like this, this obstacle. You know, and I love challenges. I mean, I love challenges, and I loved overcoming challenges. And the street, and the street across to this neighborhood was this obstacle. And if you could pass the street to this obstacle, the reward for you was, you know, was marijuana. I mean, and, and I was all for that. So, so I was, so I was always up for, uh, you know, for taking that opportunity. Like people would just come up to me in school, and uh, I'd be like, I'd be on my way to class, la da 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 da. You know, I'd be walking to class, and somebody would just come up to me and be like, Hey, want to smoke a joint? I'd be like, Okay. Didn't even think about it. I mean, it was not even like the the word no just just didn't it wasn't in my vocabulary for a real long time. And uh, so you know we shot over there, we sprinted as fast as you know druggies can possibly sprint, and we and we got over there and we did our deal. Drug druggies, by the way, speaking of druggies running fast, if you want if you want if you want to see somebody run fast, you get a room full of drug addicts. All you gotta do is yell police. You want to see some druggies running? Oh my God! I mean, you'll have some Olympic hopefuls. Not a problem. So anyway, um, so that happened, and, and my mom ended up calling the school after my sophomore year because she, you know, she was concerned. My mom was no dummy, you know. Even though I thought she was for a long time, she was definitely not a dummy. She knew something was going on, and uh, she ended up calling the school and uh, talking to this lady that that the, that the school calls the area coordinator, which is some kind of administrator. I really haven't figured out yet what exactly it is that they do, but apparently they coordinate some kind of area, and I was a part of it. <laughs> So anyway, um, and, what, and what's interesting about all this, I didn't, I didn't know about any of this until after I got sober. So which is kind of cool, now that I got sober, I can put this into context. I can put this into historical context. So, um, 
so so this this area coordinator lady in turn got in touch with this other lady named Deb Trapp, who was uh, the lady at my high school who basically sent all the kids off to treatment. And I had heard about treatment and rehab, and uh, and everybody that I had ever heard about rehab was uh, you know, was a place where you got brainwashed. You know, don't go there, or you'll never be able to see us again. And I didn't want that because these guys were, these guys were hooking me up with drugs and alcohol. You know, I sure as hell you know wanted to see those guys again. So this so so this lady came to see me, and she basically laid it out on the table for me and gave me this like packet long evaluation. And I, had, I, I mean, my God, I was in there for like two full class periods answering questions about my drug use. You know, and she would ask me how often do I you know how often do I use drugs, and I'd say, well, you know, once in a while. You know, I'd say, you know, maybe I've done it a couple times. And um, and uh, you know, and I and I and I answered that. So I mean, I was fairly honest. So so um so this, so that happened, and she basically laid out all the all the options for me, and uh and 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 had me visit this class that that she had there called the Student Service Center Aftercare class, which was all the kids who had gone to inpatient or who were currently going to outpatient treatment, who were all who all went to this high school and who were all sober, and and I mean that was. You know that was definitely news to me. So uh, so I went in there, and uh, I recognized one of the girls in the class. She was in this philosophy class I had at the time, which I very rarely went to. And um, so I went in there, and they were asking me about you know my drug use, and I told them that I had been sober for three weeks when in fact I had just like smoked the bowl like two hours ago. And uh, the, the one girl in my philosophy class, she called me on it. She was just like, you know, you talk to that kid all the time in that class when you're even there about how much pot you smoke and how much this or that you do. So, my, so needless to say, my first impression of recovering alcoholics wasn't too good. I certainly didn't want people, you know, to, to tell other people when I was lying. I wanted my lies to be truth. And I, I didn't want to, I mean... <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if you're gonna lie, you don't, if you're gonna lie, you don't want someone ratting on you. And why would you want to be a part of a group that's gonna rat on you if you lie? So I said, "The hell with you. Goodbye. I don't need what you have. I'm gonna go use some more. Thanks. Bye." So eventually, my junior year, things got really bad. Uh, I actually managed to scrape up a couple of girlfriends, but they didn't stick around too long. Uh, I had, I had, I had one. I had one. This redhead that I that that was a model, and I, and I swear to God, I was like, "Oh my God, a model." So, uh, so I met this girl at a party, and of course, before I, you know, I could, I, do, I could do any of that, I had to buy a bag from a guy that I knew there, and da 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 da. da. So, um, so eventually, you know, we got to talking, and, and um, you know, we had a little thing for the weekend, and I swear to God, I thought I was going to marry this girl, like after like two days. I mean, she was a model, for God's sake. My God, don't you have any idea what that does for my reputation at school? Yes, I'm dating a model. Well, it's fine. <laughs> but I think, uh, but I, I, I think she recognized that and, and saw through that, and after about. <laughs> And after and after about uh, after about three days, she said adios. So um, I said, "Fine, the hell with you. You know, I have drinking, drugs. It's fine." So uh, eventually, after that, things got things got worse. Things got worse, and I got kicked out of my house again. And this time, uh, I went over to a buddy of mine's house, lived in the neighborhood, and uh, and he gave me a blanket and a pillow to sleep in this tree fort that we made. <laughs> Needless to say, uh, a tree fort is not necessarily as comfortable as a bed. I found that out. So uh, the next day, of course, I pulled my routine and went, Aah! and uh, my dad only grounded me for a week, which wasn't too bad. So uh, you know, I did my time, and I continued on, uh, and, and I picked up where I left off. And um, eventually, I started dating this girl who was actually the best friend of the model. And, uh, and this was like, I think maybe in like April or, like April or May of 94. And uh, so, so, so I'm dating this girl, and, and everything's, you know, everything's going peachy keen, blah, blah, blah. But this, this is one of those girls that, like, was a good girl. You know, I didn't meet her at a party. You know, I didn't meet her, you know, like at some hole in the wall or some keg party in Detroit that I was at. You know, I met her at school. You know, she was a friend of a friend, real nice girl, had all her, you know, had all her stuff together, good grades, good student, good person, all that kind of stuff. So how in the hell did I attract her? I wonder to this day. She, I don't know if she wanted to save me or, or what, but she knew she knew damn well that <laughs> you know what I, I really you know in all in all fairness to everybody who's an Alanon out there, I really wish I was more familiar with Alanon because I think this girl might have definitely been quali- you know qualified, but um you'll have to meet her someday someday i'll someday I'll introduce her to everyone but anyway, we're on better terms today, but I'll get to that. So uh, so yeah so so we start dating and I'm and I'm still doing my thing I'm going out you know 
and, I, and, and at this time, I, you know, I started doing acid, which uh, uh, those of you know, you know, those of you that's uh, LSD, and that's um, something that I told myself a long time before that that I would never do. I heard a lot of awful stories about what happened to people who do that stuff, and eventually it got to the point where it didn't matter. Uh, I was mixing it with booze, and uh, it didn't matter to me. You know, I mean, I had I had to be drunk. You know, and I I, I had to. I had I, I had to cover up. I had to fill that hole, you know, in my heart with something. I had to. Um, I was always feeling less then. I contemplated suicide many times during my junior year, many times in between the model and the, uh, you know, the nice girl that I started dating eventually. Um, and, and you know, and that's the way that I was. And uh, you know, some people were joking with me before the meeting started today uh, about you know how uh, back in the day I guess some of the older gentlemen used to say to the young people, you know, I spilled more than you drank. And, um, you know, my response to that would be that I hurt just as much inside as, as anybody, you know, that came in here. Um, you know, I, it got to the point where uh, eventually I started dating this girl, and she had me go back to that Deb Trap lady, and I tried again. You know, this time I tried to get sober for her. This was about in May of 94. And I actually went to an AA meeting. Actually, that was in like June of 94. I went to an AA meeting, and uh, I brought her with me because, you know, I, I liked, you know, I, I wanted her to come with me. I definitely didn't want to go there by myself. And uh, so, so I went to the AA meeting, and uh, and uh, they mentioned God, and I was like, oh my God, you know, I was like, this is a religious program, you know, I mean, what what is this stuff, you know? I was raised Catholic. Uh, eventually, when I got really heavily into drugs and things started happening to me, I I, I basically uh, I basically totally denied the existence of God. Um, I was definitely I would definitely consider myself an atheist, uh, and in fact, I would preach that to people. You know, I I I I'd take people in high school that I would see at parties and whatnot. And I would preach my atheistic philosophy to them, and I would I would present evidence to back up that point. So I, I thought I was a pretty smart guy, but uh, I've I've since found out that that is definitely not true in my life. Um, so you know, so 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 that so that was definitely one knock against AA. You know, the word God was written in black and white, right on the wall, right on those steps, and I, and I didn't like that. And the second thing was uh, how happy everybody was, and I definitely wasn't happy. I definitely didn't like that. Um, I figured if, if there's a bunch of alcoholics here. And, um, you know, they're all staying sober. How can they possibly be happy? Because uh, I never felt happy when I was sober. You know, I never, ever felt happy when I wasn't drinking. And, and, and then after a while, I never felt happy when I was drinking. Um, I was always kind I mean, like people say this, and I think this holds true for me, too. I think I was always trying to chase that very first time I remember that I really remember getting stoned. Just laughing for like two hours straight and not thinking about anything. And uh, I never got that back. You know, I, I never, never got that back. Um, eventually, I would go to a party, and I would, you know, and I would get the booze there, and I would go to the corner of the room, and I would sit there by myself, and um, and people would just look at me and laugh. And um, God, and I, I mean, I got so relic back on that, and I just felt, I mean, I just felt awful about that, you know. I mean, here, I, you know, I was the guy at all these parties, you know, that everybody would just look at, you know, point at, and just start laughing at, you know. And and anybody who's anybody who's ever had that happen to you knows what I'm talking about, the feeling of that. The feeling of a room full of people laughing at you because of how stupid you were, you know. But I didn't care, you know. I mean, I wanted, I wanted my alcohol and I wanted my drugs. Um, uh, I started having blackouts during that during that junior year, um, you know. And and it was almost like identical, you know. I mean, every one. And like eventually, I, you know, at first I was just like, well, I guess this just you know happens eventually if you get experienced enough, you know. But um, you know, eventually it was. I mean, it was. I mean, pretty damn regularly, you know. I mean, I would. One minute I'd be at this party, you know, the next minute I'd be in bed, you know, with like a two, three-hour gap in between there. And, and I would just be like, oh, my God, what did I do, you know? And my buddies were terrible about it, you know. My buddies would be like, well, you did this, this, and this, and I'd be like, no, I didn't. And I'd be like, yeah, you did. I'm like, no, I did not. They'd be like, okay, you didn't, just kidding. And then I'd be like, wait a minute, are they just telling me that to make me feel better? Or did I really do that? I didn't know, you know. I had no idea. And I hated that. I hated when they did that. And, um... So, you know, so I, so I went to this AA meeting, and uh, needless to say, I didn't really like it too much, and I figured, well, hell with this, you know, my girlfriend will keep me sober. Didn't happen. Worked for about uh, maybe a month or two, and uh, I started drinking again. And, um, and that began a period of, like, constant, like, struggling within myself. I wanted so bad to have something better. I was so tired of feeling all the time like I wanted to kill myself. I was so tired of all the crappy relationships that I had with people. I was so tired of... Uh, God, everything, man, getting bad grades, just feeling like a worthwhile, like, just piece of scum, you know? Because like I said, I built that reputation up, man, where my friends, just their parents, every time I'd come over, their parents would walk out of the room, 
You know, no one wanted me around anymore. You know, I mean, it wasn't, my life was no longer about making people laugh and, 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 you know, and being in the center of the attention. It was no longer about that. You know, I mean, my sole purpose was to either get drunk, be on my way to get drunk, you know, or, you know, recover from the hangover and find something that, you know, to fix that hangover, which usually involved drinking as well. So, um, you know, so, so, so all that, so all that stuff happened. And, and, uh, you know, and, and on August 7th, 1994, uh, I was sitting in my house, and this was around the time when I started to isolate. And uh, the only person I would really see on a regular basis was my girlfriend, and, and I wasn't even really being too kind to her anymore. And, um, and this guy called me, this guy I used to work with, um, you know, back in, you know, a couple of years back when I, when I was 15, I was working at this Italian restaurant. He gave me a call one day, and he was like, you know, you want to come over and play some chess? I used to always play chess with this guy in his trailer and just get absolutely hammered. And uh, I was like, all right, man. I go, but I quit drinking. I don't, I don't. I go. I don't drink anymore. He's like, all right, no problem. Go, that's, that's fine. So I go, all right, you know. So you know, so I so so I go over there, and uh, you know, he's sitting there. He's, you know, he's by himself. And all of a sudden, this other guy, you know, appears, and uh, and he's another guy I used to work with. And 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 what do you know? He's got a case of Molson Ice sitting there, which was a, like a newer beer. And when it came out, I mean, it was like, oh my God! I mean, it was just it was the, just the nicest beer I'd ever had. You know, and I mean, I had a lot of different crappy beers. You know, I had all the all the BS that you buy in the party store, you know, I mean, you know, all the, the goat water or whatever it is, you know, I mean, I had all that stuff, you know. But, I mean, but this beer was choice, you know, I mean, this was, this was good stuff, and I really liked it, you know, and there it is sitting there, and here I am, you know, telling this guy, well, I don't want to stop drinking. <laughs> and ten minutes later, I had a beer in my hand, you know, and, uh, and, and, and after that, and after two or three hours, you know, I, I was driving home in a stupor wondering how it happened. And uh, at that point, I definitely knew I needed help. I had already been exposed to AA. I had already been exposed to people who were sober. And um, at that point, I knew. You know, I knew I needed help. Uh, I definitely wasn't convinced that I wanted to quit entirely. I, I, will, I will state that perfectly clear. Um, when I first thought about um, changing or doing something different, I definitely did not want to quit drinking entirely. It was way too much a bigger part of my life. I mean, it was everything to me. You know, it, it, it ruled and dominated every aspect of my life. And I thought about it constantly. I mean, even, you know, whether I was drunk, on my way to get drunk, or, you know, recovering from my last drunk, you know, I was always thinking about it, always thinking about how I was going to get more. And that's the, uh, that's the mental obsession, you know, that's, that's the insanity of alcoholism, you know, that, that's heard so often in, in meetings and, and, you know, in conferences like this, you know. The insanity of alcoholism, you know, you do the same thing, you drink, you get drunk, you know, things happen to you, bad things happen to you, and you do it over and over again, expecting to have different results. That's insanity. And, um, and, and, that's, and that's how I drink uh, and that, that was definitely, you know, the way that I lived my life, you know, throughout throughout while I was growing up and, and uh, throughout high school. So, uh, so the school year started, and I went back to that Deb Trap lady, and I'd put uh, I'd put about three weeks under my belt without going to a single meeting. And um, and basically, I did that by not talking or doing anything. Sat in my house, not fun. So I went to this Deb Trap lady, and I, and I and I knew because of the two previous times that I'd visited her that you know she knew something about this sort of thing. And all I said to her was. Um, I'm ready. You know, I want to be in this class, which was the aftercare class. And she was like, "Okay, I'll get it done." You know, uh, the hour that the hour that uh, that class was supposed to meet, I had originally signed up for a skills for living class. <laughs> I think things would be slightly different had I kept in that skills for living class. Would have been able to make you an omelet, but probably couldn't help you from alcoholism. So I dropped that class and I picked up this aftercare class and uh, and right away I was a know-it-all. I mean, you know, here I was months over. I knew everything about AA. And I'd go to meetings and I remember when I got my two-month token and I, I didn't have a sponsor. I was just starting to get involved into uh, aftercare in, or outpatient treatment and I was getting my two-month token. I remember at this place called Unity Church, a little little small little candlelight meeting in, in Livonia, up in Michigan. And I was getting my two-month token and. Uh, uh, in Michigan, they have all these tabletop meetings, and they had me, uh, <laughs> hey, my anniversary, two months, you get to lead the table, you know, so I'm like, oh, my God, they're asking me to lead the table, here's my really big chance to shine. I'll tell you what, I probably offered the worst advice possible in AA that night. People were looking at me at the table and going, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> oh, well, oh, okay, sorry, I'll show you. 
so I guess that was the first, like the first real blow to that, to that, uh, to that, that constant ego thing that I, you know, I that I knew it all. And eventually, my counselors in treatment found out about that too. I remember my first day in uh, in treatment. Uh, we had this big, huge group. Every like all the guys in there, you know, were in one group, and usually we were separated. Usually it was like the the primary group with the kids who were early in sobriety and the senior group, which is the kids who pretty much had a good grasp and were starting to build solid recoveries and who were just kind of you know learning about the day to day living and whatnot. So, so my first day, we were all in this big group. And uh, so I'm just kind of sitting there chilling, just, you know, getting a feel for what's going on, you know, making some mental notes of the different terminologies they're using so I can take those to meetings with me. Sound good, so. And, uh, and eventually, uh, some, somewhere, like, there was a thing where, like, they were, the counselors were really, uh, they were really tearing into a couple of the kids, and, uh, and they were asking the group if they knew the answer or something. And somehow, some way, I guessed the correct answer to this question. Like, oh, my God. The counselor's like, oh, my God, where'd they get this guy? First day he's answering these questions. Oh, they should have never done that. My head inflated. Like, oh, my goodness, God. So eventually, uh, they, they caught wind of that, though. And um, for, about the, for about the first uh, uh, two, three months in treatment, and I, and I got into treatment when I was about two months sober, believe it or not. I got, into, I got into aftercare treatment when I was about two months sober. And for about the first two or three months that I was in there, I basically did not do a damn thing. Didn't do one thing they told me to do. At one point at that place, I had uh, little stickers on me all over my body of all the other people in the group who had written things that they did not like about me, and I had them pasted all over my body. <laughs> Imagine for a month straight going to, going to a group therapy rehabilitation center. You know, for about a month I, I had these things on. Constantly looking, every time you look down, you know, I mean, you know how you look down and, you know, check to make sure that, you know, your underwear is not sticking out or whatever. Well, you know, I'd do that, you know, make sure your fly's not open. Well, I'd do that, and every time I would look down, you know, here was, you're arrogant. <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you're phony. You know, all this stuff. You know, you think you're better than everybody, you know. You think every girl in this place likes you, which I did, and they didn't. <laughs> So for a month straight, I, I look at these things, and I still, I still, that did not motivate me. It did not motivate me to do any kind of work in there. And uh, so then they added this big, you know, big punching bag that, like, boxers usually train on that. So here I was with all these signs, sitting in this chair. I had this, uh, I had this big, giant boxing bag between my legs, which was supposed to symbolize me embracing my disease. And the only thing I was embracing was resentment. I mean, that's about the only thing I was really, you know, getting out of it. And, uh, and, and my counselor eventually found, you know, he eventually figured that out. And he just said, take those things off. They have no meaning for you. Which actually, when he said that, felt shittier than when they were around the whole time. Because that made me feel like, man, I'm never going to get this, you know. And, um, you know, the whole time I had this plan in my head that once I get out of here, and I, you know, and I, and I, I was already planning on going to UD at this point. But I had this plan in my head. I said, well, as soon as I get out of here, you know, I'm going to coast by. I'm going to make everybody happy for right now. And uh, as soon as I get to UD, you know, Back to the old cabin. You know, I heard they got a lot of good parties over there, blah, blah, blah. So that was my plan. And um, so things went on. And uh, one, day I was in, one day I was in rehab, and my counselor said to me one day, he said, Kevin, why don't you just try sitting up straight and making eye contact with everybody? Why don't you just try that? He's like, sit up straight in your chair and make eye contact with everybody. He's like, stop sitting like you have the weight of the world sitting on your shoulders. So I'd slouch my seat. Oh, I had a good day today. <laughs> So, so that's so that's what I did, and uh, and I and, and that was honestly, in all in all honesty, that was the very first thing that I that anybody recovery related. That was the very first thing I ever did, to 100% best of my ability, and my recovery actually was built on that, found, you know, that that founding stone. It's really weird. Just something little like that, you know, can just set off like, can just set off the principle of faith without works is dead. You know, before that happened. Uh, I was under the impression that all I had to do was just sit and chill, and God was eventually going to take care of me. You know, I mean, I was really all I had to do was just sit, just chill out, you know, not do anything, just wait, just kind of sit there, smile, go to meetings, and eventually God was just going to, like, just zap me. And, like, all of a sudden, I was just going to have all this knowledge and serenity and uh, just be a guru. I honestly believed that for a long time. And uh, I remember, I think I shared that with my counselor one day, and he said to me, he's like, well, what are you going to do if you're in a boat on the ocean and a giant tidal wave begins to build over your boat. He's like, you're just going to sit there and pray for the tidal wave to go away? He's like, I don't know. You're going to sit there paddling like hell praying for the tidal wave to go away. So that was the, uh, 
that was my first introduction to the phrase, faith without works is dead. And, and that was the first thing, you know, sitting straight in my chair, that was the first thing I did 100% of my ability. So then it came time to me to do what they called a formal first step, which, you know, really, I don't know. I mean, I, I never really understood, you know, why exactly I needed to do that. You know, I heard my friends that went to inpatient did it, and, um, and, uh, and, and you know, they had, to, they had to do all these things for their first step. And I just, I just thought we had to admit something. You know, I mean, my God, I can do that. God, I, you know, I also admitted that, um, you know, I was a drug cartel dealer, so which I wasn't, but. <laughs> now I also admitted to, to the group that I was a ladies' man, which I wasn't. So, hell, I could do that. That was easy. So they had me do this. Uh, they had me do this formal first step, and I had to write down all the consequences of my drinking and using. And um, I came up with a pretty good list. And eventually, uh, I also had to surrender a lot of the things that were really important to me during, uh, during my using, like all my old music tapes. Uh, I used to always drive around and listen to this punk rock and just drive around my buddies, just, just get stoned and drive around to this punk rock, just drive real fast, drive around the neighborhood and smash garbage cans all over the place and drive. I had to give all that up. Major bummer. And then I, I had to bring in all these pictures of all my old friends. Because at this point, I had finally surrendered, like, hanging out with my old friends. I really was hanging out with people who were sober at this point. It took about five months, but eventually I started hanging around with people who were going to meetings and stopped hanging out with people who were, uh, you know, who I used to hang out with. Even, you know, even guys that were my old neighborhood buddies, you know, for, uh, for a real long time. So, um, you know, so they're holding up all these pictures of my old friends, and it just really hit me, you know. It hit me during this thing uh, how much I missed all that. You know, and uh, and how sad it was for me to give that up, and that was probably the thing that I got out of that whole experience. That uh, it was it was a sad thing for me, you know, to have to finally surrender that way of life, you know. But I knew after that day, I knew after that day that I was starting something much more exciting, much more wonderful, and much more meaningful. You know, uh, I, I like to tell this story too. Um, that day was also the my very first real. Uh, spiritual experience, I guess, so to speak, or my spiritual awakening, I guess. Uh, before, that, before that day in group that I had to give my formal first step, I was really scared about it. So I went into the bathroom, and uh, I got on my knees, cold tile floor. Here I was on my knees in this men's bathroom. Couldn't do it like in front of everybody, so I locked the door, all that. I got in there, and uh, I just prayed, you know, to whatever power, you know, that I thought. I just called it God, you know, because that's what I've been brought up with. I just said, God, help me accept that whatever happens today, you know, that I deal with the best that I can, you know, and I just do whatever it is I'm supposed to do, something to that effect. And uh, I went in there and I did everything I had to do and everything went well. And I felt like a million bucks when I went out of there. And that was the very first true evidence of a power greater than myself, at least in my mind. You know, I, I was one of those guys, if, you know, I loved, like, evidence. You know, I, was, you know I, I just thought I was so smart, you know, that I could just, you know, when I was an atheist, I'd back up all this stuff with facts and blah, 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 blah. Now I had some true, real, concrete evidence that there was, you know, that there existed a power greater than myself that could possibly help to solve my problem. And and that was just, I mean, that was an amazing revelation, man. I, I, that was just like, that was awesome. You know, I mean, I, I was raised Catholic, but I was never like, you know, sometimes I would pray to God to get me out of trouble, or I would pray to God to help me get to sleep at night, you know, or I would pray to God for something really terrible to happen to me so I wouldn't have to, you know, go through the crap that I was going through, like end up on a hospital bed or something and have all sorts of nurses and doctors just take care of me for the rest of my life. You know, something like that is what I prayed for. I never prayed for, uh, you know, the willingness to help others and the willingness to do, you know, his work and, and the work for others and, you know, always for my own selfish end. So anyway, uh, I graduated out of the primary group at, uh, at my rehab center, which actually was the very, very same place where I went to that youth assistance program when I was uh, a freshman in high school. They not only operated a youth assistance program, this growth works place also operated an adolescent rehabilitation center. Interesting. So, um, so uh, I, got, I graduated out of the primary group and I got to the senior group. And, uh, and, and the senior group is when I finally got honest about my little plan to start drinking when I came to school here. And, uh, and that was about, that was about uh, maybe about two weeks before I moved here. And uh, talked about it, got it all out, and talked about a lot of other issues about my parents and everything. And that was a pretty, pretty important day for me in group. And, uh, and about two weeks after that, I graduated. And, and about another week after that, I moved down here. And um, let me tell you guys something about Dayton AA. Um, I came down here 
and uh, almost immediately I was amazed by how you guys do AA here. And I, and I don't say that sarcastically, not in the least. Um, and I'm, this is no knock on Michigan AA, no knock on it whatsoever. You know, Michigan AA has a great fellowship. You know, a lot of people that are real excited about sobriety, but Dayton AA is so much more, so much more emphasizing of sponsorship, the steps, um, you know, the big book, God, all those things. You know, all those things that are repeatedly exemplified in the big book. And uh, I never really had a real sponsor before I moved here. I had one that uh, I would meet with once a week. He would ask me what step I was on, and every week I would tell him first. Six months I did that. And uh, he would buy me something at Arby's, and then that was the end of it. And uh, that was, you know, that was my contact with my sponsor once a week. But uh, I came here, and uh, about three weeks into my freshman year, I was ready to drink. I was going to meetings regularly. In fact, I did not have a car. I took a cab up to the Southside Club the second day that I was here, and I made an announcement at the beginning of the meeting, and I said, uh, my name's Kevin, I'm an alcoholic, and uh, I'm new in town here. I don't have a car. Can I please have some phone numbers to get right at the meetings? Thanks. At the end of that meeting, I had like 10 phone numbers. It was awesome. Called a different person up every day. I got to a meeting just about every day of the week. And, um, but, but, but didn't really meet anybody younger than me, like around my age at that point. I mean, I was, you know, I was 18 at this point. I had a little over a year of sobriety. And uh, the only guy that I knew that was roughly my age was this 24-year-old guy that I met at the Southside Club. And him and I ended up hanging out like every weekend for the first six months that I was here. And uh, like I said, about three weeks after I, I first moved here, I was, about, I was ready to drink. I said, man, I go, I, I can't do this. This is ridiculous. You know, I mean, no one's going to remember me back there anyway. And uh, which was really something stupid to say. You know, that was really something stupid to think. I formed some really, really tight friendships with guys back in Michigan, guys that were back in my treatment center. I mean, it was really important to me while I was in treatment, you know, not just to get sober, but to stay tight with these guys. I mean, these guys had something that I wanted. These guys that I was going to treatment with, they, they had something that I wanted. They were happy and they were sober. You know, they had both. You know, for me, it was always one or the other. You know, it was either my God, I'm either going to be happy and drink, or I'm going to be sober and miserable. Well, God, I might as well keep drinking. But these guys were both. They were happy and they were sober. I mean, and they were, they were genuinely happy. And that was something that I had absolutely no concept of for a long time. And thanks to this program and the people in it, I found that. Um, so anyway... Um, so I had all these crazy thoughts about drinking, and uh, I, had, I was going to school, and I knew one other person at UD that was in recovery. And she was really stressing for me to get a sponsor. She's like, get a sponsor, get a sponsor, get a sponsor. So eventually I got a sponsor. Uh, I was at the Southside Club one night at the Sunday night lead meeting, and uh, I saw this guy give a lead. His name, name was John, and uh, he got sober like when he was 22, and I related to so much of his story. And I kept hearing this little voice in my head saying, ask him to be your sponsor. Ask him to be your sponsor. Ask him to be your sponsor. God, it was so like it was so tired powers it wasn't even funny. It was like this little like Yoda guy in my head was just like telling me <laughs> Unbelievable. So I followed it, man, and I asked this guy to be my sponsor, and since then miracles have followed. Um, you know, sometimes uh when I speak at meetings and, and when I get up on the podium, you know, or or just when I'm with somebody that's new, you know, I wanna take apart of the happiness that I've gotten in this program and just give it to you, you know, just to show you how wonderful it is to be an AA. How wonderful it is to not only be an AA, but to actually, you know, reap the rewards and the fruits and the gifts that this program has to offer if you work it. You know, I mean, that was, that was, that was something that was just so completely and totally, like, remote to me for the longest time. You know, and it didn't matter what people said at meetings for a long time. I had to experience it myself. Things had to get bad enough for me to where I wanted to do it. I had to want to do it. Um, you know, and like I said, things had to get bad enough for me. I couldn't just do it because somebody else said it was a good idea. You know, I, ha I had to do it my way for a little while and let things get real crappy before I did it. Um, and eventually I did it. You know, I, I did a fourth and fifth step with my sponsor finally after almost a year and a half of sobriety. Um, and that was one of the greatest experiences I ever had in my life. There were tears, there were you know, smiles. Um, and he hugged me afterwards, and he said, great job, and I love you. And uh, as soon as he hugged me, it hit me that I, I really felt like I was a part of this program. I mean, that was, that was the day. That was the day that I knew I was a part of Alcoholics Anonymous was when my sponsor got up and gave me a, a genuine, loving hug from one man to another, you know, because I just completed the fifth step. That was one of the most powerful experiences I've ever had. Um, 
And after that, I proceeded. Uh, I proceeded on with the steps, and I ended up making some amends, including to that girl who was really nice, but could possibly be a member of Al-Anon if she worked hard enough at it. <laughs> I eventually was able to go back to her and make amends to her, which was another one of the greatest gifts. And, and another one, too, another very fond memory that I have about sobriety here in Dayton is when I, one of the visits when I went back to Michigan. In fact, it was my very first Thanksgiving uh, when, I was, you know, when I had to come from Dayton to go home for Thanksgiving. Um, I sat my parents down, and uh, we talked for about two hours, and I made amends to them. And... Uh, you know, up, up until that point, my dad and I were not very close. Uh, he had, I mean, he had headed up to here numerous times with my drinking. Uh, my mom, you know, I had severely abused my mom um, while that was going on. I'd thrown things at her. Um, you know, I'd yelled at her, screamed at her, done all kinds of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I went back and I made amends for all that kind of stuff. You know, and it talks about in the big book about hard feelings or something to the effect melting away in the course of an hour. And, and I'll tell you what, that is an absolute miracle. Uh, I once told my sponsor, and I was dead serious, I go, you know what, I, go, I don't think I will ever be able to have a relationship with my dad. And that was something that I so dearly wanted. You know, I mean, my dad was just so important to me. And, uh, and through this program, I've gotten him back. Um, he's just such a great guy, you know, and, and I have so much to learn from him. And uh, he's, so, he's so giving and caring. And uh, I look back and I wonder... You know, through the through the tornado and the wreckage of alcoholism, how I could have possibly done such things to him. Like I said, that is the insanity of the disease. And the greatest miracle of all is that not only do I have a relationship back with my dad, but it is better and more loving and closer than it ever has been before. And that is just an absolute miracle. Um, you know, I, was, I was talking with some people last night about uh, about young people in this area. Uh, my first roughly year and a half here, I was probably the youngest person at just about every meeting I went to. And, uh, you know, for a while I felt kind of funny about that, but I got around it. You know, I, I met a lot of people who were a little older, but who had a lot to offer and a lot to teach me. And, uh, and they certainly did that. And uh, I, made, I definitely made use of what they had to offer me. Um, you know, I formed some great friendships with those guys. And eventually they helped me get the tools, you know, to start helping other, other alcoholics, you know, other young people, you know. And um, by the grace of God, I've been able to do that. And I'll tell you what, you know, for those of you who have experienced this, uh, there, I don't think there is no greater reward or gift in AA than sponsoring or helping another person. And uh, like it says over and over again, only by giving it away are you going to keep it. But not only do you keep it, but you get something back much more. You know, you get a friend, you get somebody, you know, somebody that you truly care about in your life. And... Uh, you know, somebody that's really, really special and important in your life. And uh, like I started this meeting with, I'm a grandpa now. <laughs> 20-year-old grandpa in AA. And uh, I'm not really sure if I've ever felt better. Um, I want to thank Todd and people who came up here and, uh, and asked me to speak today. And I'm, and I'm very grateful that I have the opportunity to share my story with all of you. And, um, you know, my only... My only hope now is that, uh, you know, there are some other young people, you know, in the area that are willing, you know, to try to go for and attain, you know, what me and some friends of mine have, have finally gotten around here. Um, if you see, if you see Oipa come to town sometime next year, hopefully I'll have something to do with that. That's my next goal. So, uh, love all you guys. Thanks a lot.